You're listening to the Warrior Priest Podcast. And this is the Warrior Priest Podcast, and I am the Warrior Priest, Donovan Riley. This is the midweek debrief number six, I believe. So welcome back to everybody who hit play to listen to this one. Thank you for all of your support for the podcast and for everybody who listens all over the world. If there is anything that you would like me to read or discuss on the podcast, I'd be glad to get a DM or an email from you. You can go to Anchor FM to the Warrior Priest Podcast to email me. Otherwise, you can find me on Instagram primarily at the Warrior Priest Podcast or at my personal account, Warrior Priest, and also on Facebook at the Warrior Priest Podcast Facebook page. That being said, this morning when I got up and finished my reading, I'm reading E.B. Sledge's book with the old breed, which I can't recommend highly enough. It's a hard read based on the content, the subject matter, and Sledge's, I don't know, he's, there is a profundity in the simplicity of the way that he writes. He writes simply, he gets to the point, he doesn't use a lot of flowery speech or prose, and in this way he is able to communicate some really really horrific truths about war and about combat in a way that it it helps me anyways when I read these books like Red Platoon by Clinton Ramache or You Are Worth It or by Kyle Carpenter um, or With the Old Breed by Sledge and then um, uh, Leckie's book is next, which is A Helmet for My Pillow, another classic about um, the war in the Pacific, World War II. What I get from these books and why I like to read them, why I prefer to read them now, is that these men who have been on the razor's edge, who have been the tip of the spear and have been in a situation uh, where it is an actual matter of life and death, daily, hour to hour, minute to minute, moment to moment, there's a clarity in that that comes through in the way in which they then communicate. And they communicate about things like leadership, brotherhood and fellowship, but also about fear, about doubt, and everything that accompanies fear and doubt. They write about failure, because even when there is a victory, let's say in battle or in war, there is still this sense of failure. There's survivor's guilt, because you survived and those brothers whom you loved did not. And what these extreme circumstances taught them about themselves, about other men, about humanity in general, and sometimes about their own belief in God or how they lost their belief or renounced their belief in God as a consequence of what they experienced. But it helps me. And and the reason it helps me, not only because of what I just described, but growing up the son of a veteran, a Vietnam veteran, who did two tours in Vietnam, who to this day, I think, let's see, my dad's 69, going on 70, and still can't discuss what happened in the war. And growing up the son of a vet with PTSD and suffering abuse then as a consequence of how he chose to handle his PTSD, which was with primarily with drugs and alcohol, and then the abuse that flowed from that, because he didn't know what to do. He didn't know how to talk about it. And when he got back from Vietnam in 1970, uh, there wasn't anyone waiting for him with open arms to welcome him back except his own family. There was no counseling available unless you sought it out. And in 1970, men didn't go to counseling. 
normally. That wasn't something that you did if you were a man. And it wasn't even until 1983, 1984, that the VA offered him help when all these different articles were coming out exposing the effects of Agent Orange. You can look that up if you want to do more research into it. So my dad got home in 70, and it wasn't until 1983, 84, like I said, before it was even acceptable for these guys to start to talk about their experience or the government itself even acknowledging some of the things that were done to these guys over there. And so growing up as a child of a vet, I didn't understand PTSD. I didn't even know what PTSD was until probably college, actually. And so I knew there's something wrong with my dad. I just didn't know what. But all of his brothers were messed up too because of alcoholism, and his own dad was messed up because of alcoholism, and his dad's dad. And I always just assumed that abuse was normal because my dad abused me, my uncles abused their kids, my step-grandpa, my grandma's husband that she married, abused me physically. And I just assumed that was normal. So growing up, I didn't know any different, and I didn't know what PTSD was. I didn't know about the effects of Vietnam because no one was talking about it. But yet I knew lots of people, it turns out, teachers, uh, my librarian in high school, my dad, other people's parents who had served in Vietnam, but they never talked about it either. And so it was almost like this underlying tension that formed the subtext of every relationship with these people. And growing up in a house like that, I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know why it was happening until, like I said, much later into college. And that's when I learned about my own PTSD as a consequence of the abuse and a consequence of my own drug and alcohol abuse. And I didn't know what to do about that because, like I said, I grew up, that was just normal. And it wasn't until I was 28 that I went to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting or started to take counseling seriously for myself and and really take a deep dive into it and reading it, researching it, discussing uh, my life, my experiences with counselors and psychologists and so forth, because I didn't want to repeat that cycle with my own wife and God willing with my family. I didn't want to let that cycle of abuse and violence and addiction continue to perpetuate itself, which brings me to my reading for today and and the reason for this week's debrief, which is from Kevin Ross, a Muay Thai fighter. You can find him on Soul uh, on I'm sorry Instagram at da d a Soul Assassin. I love Kevin. He was recently on the Joe Rogan podcast. I think last month, fantastic podcast. I highly recommend it, and I've linked to it before. Uh, in another debrief, you can go back. There's only six debriefs, so it shouldn't be that hard to find. But uh, I love him. I love him. I've never met him, but I love him just from listening to him. I love him from what he writes and what he posts on his Instagram. I just think he's an authentic, real person, human being, who's struggled with addiction in his own life, struggled with abuse in his own life, which he's only very, very recently. In fact, I think he said on the Joe Rogan podcast last month, that was the first time he had spoken publicly about his own abuse sexual abuse at the hands of an adult. And so for those reasons alone, he endeared himself to me, that he's, he's willing to put himself out there and be authentic and raw and be honest and tell the truth and be a vulnerable and say, hey, you know, these are the reasons that I struggled with addiction. This is the reason that I had doubts about myself and about getting into relationships with people, doubts about you know, my chosen profession, my vocation, where my life was going, the direction of my life, how to get to where I wanted to go. And also then how he learned to embrace weakness and doubt and use 
the abuse that he suffered and use those doubts, use his own weaknesses and ultimately his failures to strengthen himself, to become stronger mentally and physically and emotionally to the point that he could finally then open up publicly on the Rogan podcast and say, this is what happened to me and this is what kind of determined the trajectory of my life then and affects me to this day. And I can say for myself too then, at 48 years old, that obviously since I'm still talking about it, I've talked about it before, my addiction is part of my life and it's something that I'm always... I don't want to say struggling with anymore, but I live with it and it informs my decisions. It informs the way that I think it informs what I do. It informs, um, how I try to maintain my emotional maturity and keep a harness tight leash on my emotions. And so anyways, back to Kevin, then he posted this this morning on Instagram and I've been thinking about it all day. He writes, we all have weaknesses inside of us even those who you think are the strongest. I don't care who you are. You will go through times of doubt. And sometimes those doubts will get the best of you. But it's not about whether these things will happen. It's about how you act when they do. Dust yourself off and get back in there. And I posted a picture of this to the um, podcast on the Warrior Priest uh, WordPress website so you can actually read it for yourself or just go to Instagram and follow Kevin and read it for yourself there too. But we all have weaknesses. This is obviously proven just by experience. If you are alive, then you are aware that you have weaknesses. Perhaps it is sugar dependency or alcohol dependency or your relationships are your weaknesses that you don't believe that you're worthy of love, for example, and therefore you allow yourself to enter into relationships with people who burden you and bully you and push you around and are constantly projecting onto you their garbage and essentially trying to make you into the image of their ideal mate or partner. And we all have doubts about ourselves, about our capabilities and abilities. And there are plenty of people in the world who are going to tear you down to build themselves up. And they're going to prey upon your weaknesses and your doubts. And if you're not aware of your weaknesses and doubts, if you run from them, for example, and attempt to escape from them because you don't want to confront yourself, you don't want to stare that person in the mirror in the eye and say, yeah, this is the truth about myself. These are my weaknesses. These are my doubts. These are my fears that have erupted and, and caused the ground underneath me to heave up because I refuse to acknowledge my weaknesses and doubts. And because I don't want to take care of my own house, I'm compelled to go around trying to clean other people's houses for them. And so you don't use failure then to strengthen yourself. You don't use it as fuel, but rather you allow failure to define you and to determine your identity. I've talked about it before that when I lost two matches in the tournament this past November, there was 35 to 40 minutes on my from the time I finished the tournament to the time that I got home where I was overwhelmed with feelings of weakness, doubt, and an overwhelming feeling of failure that I myself was a failure. I had not just failed to execute on the game plan that my coach and I had developed. I had not just failed to secure victory in two matches, two fights, but I myself then was, I associated failure to win with my own personality, my own person. 
And so I was overcome with doubt. Why do I do this? And maybe I've been lying to myself the whole time. And the doubt crept in then about what, why should I, why am I doing this at all? Why should I keep doing this? And then, like I said, that failure not only became something that I identified with my performance, but it became, I identified it with myself. And I, I just, I just attacked myself mentally, physically, and emotionally on the way home. And then I got home and my two-year-old daughter greeted me at the door and she was so excited to see me because she hadn't seen me all day. And I gave her the, the silver medal and she dropped it and just dragged it around like it was a toy car or like one of those toy phones that you drag around that makes noise. And she was just delighted that it was shiny and that it made noise. And she didn't reject me when I got to the door. She didn't tell me that I was a loser or a failure and that I wasn't worthy to, to be her father. My wife didn't shout at me and tell me to make my own damn dinner. My family loves me and they love me for who I am. And in that moment, it was very sobering to recognize and again, be confronted with my own weaknesses and doubts with my own failure. But ultimately it was my failure to recognize that this moment in time, losing these two fights don't define me as a human being. They don't define me as a father or a husband. They don't define me as a jujitsu, jujitsu practitioner or as a Muay Thai fighter. They don't define me as a man, but rather in that moment, I was beaten. I was defeated. I failed to execute on the game plan. I failed to secure the victory. But that I can either let that overwhelm me and define me and ruin me and ultimately drive me back into stinking thinking, like we say in recovery, or I can take a step back. I can give it a moment to breathe. I can look at it objectively, as I say, stand outside my own house and look through the window and observe myself and ask, if I was a stranger looking through the window at myself, what would I see? What would my judgment of myself be at that moment? And to be able to be objective in that moment and to say, you're letting this, you're making this into more than it has to be. This, you're making this into more than it actually is. And that failure doesn't have to define you and failure doesn't have to become your identity and failure doesn't have to destroy you, but rather it can be that next set of weights that you put on the bar and that it can actually be used then to make you mentally and physically and emotionally stronger. Because in that moment of failure, you recognize, okay, this is where I'm weak. This is where I let my ego get ahead of myself and I was lying to myself. This is where doubt crept in. I started to project onto other people who I wanted them to see me as. And I failed to distinguish between perception and observation, the truth about myself versus the person that I wanted other people to, per to perceive me as. And that by failing in that arena, I now have an opportunity to take a step back and reset and ask myself, okay, you were lying to yourself or you were projecting or you weren't being completely honest. You deceived yourself. What can you learn from this and how can you use this to become mentally stronger, to not allow those, those weaknesses and doubts to allow you to lie to yourself and justify bad thoughts and bad decisions? How can you allow this to then drive you physically and fuel you so that you put in more time at the gym and you train more deliberately and you have a more focused training regimen so that when you are there on the mats and you are there sparring, you're more deliberate and you're more focused about, okay, I need to do this and I need to fix this weakness and I need to close this hole in my game because the next time I compete, I don't want that to be the reason that I lost. And perhaps then this failure today is the victory that I gain tomorrow.
because I can learn and become more intelligent because of the failure. And then emotionally, I can recognize that I was emotionally weak and I allowed that to then pepper my sense of self and, my, and the way that I see myself in such a way that I walked away going, yeah, you're a loser, you're a failure. And I can say then from the in-house tournament two weeks ago, I won a fight, I lost a fight. And I came out of that saying from November to February, how, what did I learn? And in those two different competitions, how, what did I walk away with? Was I mentally, physically, and emotionally stronger or did I learn nothing? Because like I've said before, and I've learned this from other people's wisdom, the only thing you have to regret if it, is if you don't learn anything from your past failures. But if you learn from your failures, you have nothing to regret because then you can look back and say, what I did and how I did it is how it had to happen at that time. And if I regret how it happened or what I did, or I'm not proud of myself, or I see how weakness and doubt determined how I spoke or, or how I acted in that moment, can I learn from that? Can I change? Can I become a better man? Can I become a better training partner? Can I become a better instructor or teacher? Can I become a better pastor? Or have I learned nothing? And if I've allowed those weaknesses and doubts to overcome me and identify me as a failure, then I have learned nothing. And then in the present tense, I do have something to regret that I've essentially stopped moving forward. I've stopped learning. I've stopped building something that is better than what it was the day before. Then yeah, I have something to regret. But if I've learned and I've built on that and I put those extra weights on the bar, so to speak, then I'm getting stronger. Whether I fail once, twice, or a thousand times. So long as Kevin points out, as long as you dust yourself off and get back in there, it's like the old saying, right? Fall seven times, get up eight. The reason that these things are cliches is because they're true. And so, yeah, sometimes the doubts will get the best of you. And sometimes you're going to get back up and dust yourself off. And sometimes you're going to need somebody else to come along and help you dust yourself off and pick you back up and get you back on your feet and walk with you for a while. And I think that's the big thing for me anyways. It's a big thing that we don't adopt a lone wolf attitude, this pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and go it alone kind of attitude, which is the Horatio Alger story of go west, young man, and reinvent yourself, become your own man, become self-subsisting, a kind of autonomous individual. I don't entirely prescribe to that or subscribe to that. Subscribe to that, yeah. I don't entirely subscribe to that because I just... I don't believe that you can succeed. You can overcome weaknesses and doubts without somebody else. When I compete, I need my opponent to make me stronger. And something that I, again, I just read today, there's nobody who gets in a ring or a cage or walks onto the mat who's weak. I don't care who you are. If you're there and you're competing, win or lose, you're strong. Because it takes a strong character and it takes nerve to just register and sign up to compete. It takes nerve and character to say, yes, I'll take that fight. There's nobody weak who competes. The very act of choosing to compete shows that you have mental strength and that you have actual courage. To get out there and compete shows that you have actual physical courage. And to get back up after a loss and use that to fuel you, to make you stronger, shows that you have emotional courage as well. And I know I beat myself up, up about this in the past and, and not see myself as a courageous person, but it was other people then who came alongside of me and encouraged me and complimented me and spoke to me in a way that helped me see the truth. And that in those moments when I was down on myself, I wasn't 
acknowledging or accepting the truth about myself, that I wasn't weak, but that I had done something that required courage, mentally, physically, and emotionally, it, re- it was courage. And that even in those times then when I lost my nerve and I defeated myself before I even walked on the mat, after the fact, it was other people who pulled me up and said, you're being too hard on yourself. You're down on yourself and you don't need to be. You need to be proud of what you did because win or lose, it takes a lot of courage and a lot of strength to just do that. And as my one friend said, nobody who sits on the couch and nobody who sits behind their computer at home as allowed, has the right to tell anybody that they're a failure or they're weak because they got knocked out or defeated or submitted in a fight. That anybody who gets in the ring, whether that's an actual ring, like Kevin Ross fights in, in Muay Thai, or whether the ring is your marriage or as a parent, or the ring is your work or wherever it is, when you get in there and you get in that fight and you engage, you're not weak. And to recognize that those who want to tear you down for their own benefit and those who want to pull you down so they can stand on top of you, they're doing that because they're weak and that they can't actually, they can't do it alone, but they also don't either know how to ask for help or don't want to ask for help because their ego has gotten in the way. Or they've been so beaten down by other people and by life and by circumstances that they've given up and they've allowed their weaknesses and doubts and their failures to define them and it's become their identity. And you see this then in the way that they, they put food in their bodies, what they put in their bodies, how they choose to sleep or not to sleep, the relationships that they enter into, how they treat their job, how they treat other people. It's all of a whole. And so there is a certain sense that, yeah, you do have to make the choice every day to get out of bed. And you have to make the choice to engage. And you have to make the choice to carry out the mission, to reach your goals. But... There's also the point where you have to acknowledge that other people need to help you get there. You can't become better at jujitsu or Muay Thai without training partners and coaches. And your coaches can't become better if they don't have coaches. And you can't become a better fighter if you don't have opponents to fight against. It's the way it is. I couldn't become a better husband if I didn't have a wife. I couldn't become a better father if I didn't have kids. I couldn't become a better pastor without a congregation and so forth and so on. As much as we like to either try and go it alone or say that we don't need anybody, or as much as we, in our failures, feel like we're isolated and cut off and standing on the outside and we're marginalized, we need other people. If we're going to get stronger, we need other people to spot us when we lift that bar. And so I don't think it's either or, I think it's both and. You need that time of individual decision. You need that time alone to reflect and meditate on what's happened, but you need those people to come and go, hey, you're not seeing the whole picture or you've got your blinders on or you're lying to yourself. And if it wasn't for the people in AA, for example, I wouldn't have the tools that I need to stay sober. If it wasn't for my training partners, I wouldn't even be competing. I wouldn't even think about it. If it wasn't for other people encouraging me to keep doing the podcast and and to put my thoughts out there for other people to hear, I wouldn't be doing a podcast. It was other people who said, you know, you should record this. You should write this down. And so it isn't either or, it's both and. And I think Kevin's meditation today really drove that home for me and really got me thinking about that, that, yeah, like I said, a lot of this stuff is cliche, but the reason it's cliche is because it's true and it's immediately applicable. And so failure is a gift. It really is. It's a gift if 
you use it to become mentally, physically, and emotionally stronger. Failure is a gift because it shows you the truth about yourself. And the worse, the more catastrophic the failure, the more truth is going to be revealed. The more of you is going to be drawn out. And failure, just like weakness and doubt, they can be like waves that are just, you know, ocean waves that smash against you. And you can either figure out how to dive under them or you can just let them batter you. And that ultimately then failure isn't permanent. It's not a tattoo, as one person said that I was listening to. It's a bruise. Failure is a bruise. It's not a tattoo. And, and to put it in the way that I said it, failure doesn't define you. It doesn't, it, it doesn't determine your identity. It's simply something that happened. And so the question is, do you embrace that failure as a gift because it has something to offer you, to teach you, and that ultimately you can use that to become stronger? Or do you see it as a cross to bear, as a burden that's going to crush you? But how you choose to react and to respond to failure ultimately will determine who you will be tomorrow. And so you can choose to embrace that failure and use it to become better and become a better version of yourself. Or you can allow it to defeat you and become a lesser version of yourself but it's your choice. And then as a consequence, it's your choice, my choice, whether we then reach out and ask people to help us to say, do you think I'm on the right path? Do you think there's something that I could do better? Is there something that I could do to improve? How could I be a better teacher? How can I be a better husband? How can I be a better training partner? What do I need to do to be more likely to win victory next time that I fight? What's necessary? Tell me because my knowledge is limited. My vision is limited. My capabilities are limited. But with other people around me to encourage me, with other people around me to talk to me, to speak to me and say, hey, looking at you from the outside, this is what I think you need to work on. Or I think these are your strengths. Or I think you're selling yourself short. Have you ever thought about this? Or have you ever looked at this? It's of a piece. We were made for each other. And so as Jocko Willing likes to say, it's, you know, everything is on you, but everything isn't about you. And, you know, at least my belief is that we're put here to serve other people and that the goal of life is to give ourselves away and sacrifice ourselves to help other people live their life, be better. It doesn't mean, of course, to get caught up in a cycle of abuse and, and mistreatment, but rather to enter into relationships that are mutually sacrificial, that we are all sacrificing for the good of each other, <clears throat> excuse me, and that is then what determines the good of the whole. And now I'm rambling, so I'll stop. But uh, I hope that helped, and I hope that um, this, this debrief um, helped you if you're struggling and hopefully helps you get out of bed in the morning, put your feet on the floor, and take the next step and to keep moving forward. All right, that's all I got. Thank you once again. If you think I deserve it, please leave a positive review on iTunes or on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, share the podcast on social media. Share it with friends and family. And like I said, if there's anything that you'd like me to discuss or read on the podcast, I'd love to hear back from you. Otherwise, I will see you Sunday for a brand new episode. Peace.